Super Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about a big trade that just went down this morning. I'm recording this at about eh, just before 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, this morning, the Nuggets officially made a trade, sending out Will Barton, Monte Morris, to the Washington Wizards for Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith. Uh, both guys, veterans, players that Denver should definitely be excited about having. It definitely makes sense. There was a lot of smoke here. There was definitely a lot of discussion about a move like this at the draft. Denver, they weren't going to... Uh, They weren't going to do this deal initially, but after the draft, they decided, okay, this is probably the right course of action. Uh, We're going to talk about the players first, then we'll talk about in the second segment where Denver kind of goes from here, and third segment, we're going to do an ode to Monte Morris and Will Barton, both guys who've been with Denver for over five years. And that's sort of a big deal when it comes to moves like this because the Nuggets do not move on from guys like that very frequently. So we're going to spend some time here. If there is news that drops during this podcast or immediately after, then I am sorry, uh, but just wanted to get out an episode to talk about this move because it is important for Nuggets fans to understand. Okay. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was the major prize for the Nuggets on this particular event. Uh, The Nuggets, as everybody knows, in the postseason this last year, they were awful defensively. The year before, they were awful defensively in the playoffs. And the perimeter defense is probably the biggest issue with regard to Denver. So... They knew that they needed to upgrade on the perimeter defense front. They knew they needed to solidify the starting shooting guard spot. And there are very few candidates out there that actually make sense beyond Contavious Caldwell-Pope, KCP. So it's not a surprise to me that this deal ultimately got done. And I'm actually not surprised about the configuration of it either. Denver sends out two players for one, basically, that they project to be in the major rotation. And they also get point guard insurance. But let's start with Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Last year, for the Wizards, he played 77 games, 13.2 points, 3.4 rebounds, 1.9 assists, turned the ball over 1.3 times. So not as strong of a playmaker as Will Barton is, but he did shoot 43.5% from the field, 39% from three, and 89% from the free throw line. KCP is a better shooter. He's a better kind of complementary player as opposed to a guy with the ball in his hands. Obviously, last year, hard to fully grade Will Barton on what his fit would have been as a fourth or fifth option within Denver's offense. He never really got to experience that, never really got got to see what he was going to look like from that perspective offensively. But we know what KCP does within the flow of a a playoff caliber offense surrounding stars. We saw it with the Lakers. He was with the Lakers before he was with the Wizards, with the Lakers for four years and spent time with LeBron James for three of those years. 
And in each of those seasons with the Lakers, he shot 38.3% from three, 34.7% from three, 38.5% from three, and 41% from three in the last year. So in each of those four, he had one subpar year and three really solid to borderline elite years as a three-point shooter. And he does it without having to create with the ball in his hands. He's more of a spot-up shooter, uh, somebody who can run around screens a little bit, maybe do a DHO occasionally, but mostly he's just a floor spacer. He's somebody that the opposing team can't leave open or else he's going to hit those shots. And he also proved it in a larger role with the Wizards this last year, even though sometimes uh, Bradley Beal wasn't out there to kind of take away some attention. KCP still shot 39% in 77 total games. It's pretty impressive. One of the things that stands out with KCP is his durability. Here are his games played numbers in each of his nine seasons in the NBA. 80, 82, 76, 76, 74, 82, 69 in, I think, the, the shortened season of the bubble. 67 in the 72-game season last year, and then 77 in this past year's 82-game season. He doesn't miss games. He's actually really durable. That's something that really stands out with him. He's an extremely reliable player. He's going to be on the floor. In each of those years, uh, in in the last uh, three years that he played with the Lakers, he was in between 24 and 30 minutes per game. Other than that, he's been mostly above 30 outside of his rookie year with Detroit. It just strikes me as a move where Denver gets that reliability. Even on the offensive end, he's going to be around. He's going to be available. Denver is going to be able to count on him for sure. The real question is how much better defensively is he than Will Barton, than Monte Morris? And I think it's pretty pretty imperative that people understand just how much of an upgrade this is. KCP is a borderline elite perimeter defender. Estimated plus minus, which kind of measures just the the estimated number that you contribute on both the offensive and defensive end. If you sort by shooting guards and then sort by defense, here are kind of the top players on that list. You've got Gary Payton II at plus 3.6, Derek White at plus 2.9. Those are your 99th percentile, 98th percentile defenders. DeAnthony Melton's up there. Herb Jones is up there. You have to scroll down a little bit before you get to KCP, but he's in the 71st percentile. He's pretty good. He may not be elite, but he's solid, and that's what Denver's really looking for. He's also had better defensive years in years past when he wasn't playing for Washington. So it's possible that in a more narrow role where it's sort of outlined what his position is going to be, doesn't necessarily have to guard threes all the time, doesn't necessarily have to guard ones all the time. He's going to be impactful. He's going to be effective for what the Nuggets need. And that's what what they're looking for. They needed some reliability. They needed somebody that they could trust in a playoff series when you're going up against the likes of Steph Curry, going up against the likes of Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson, even dating back to last year when Denver faced Devin Booker, Chris Paul, 
Damien Lillard, CJ McCollum. The Nuggets were at a disadvantage in most of those matchups, especially from a perimeter defense standpoint. KCP automatically becomes the best guard defender that the Nuggets have on their roster, and it's not really close. He is an upgrade over Austin Rivers. He's definitely an upgrade over Will Barton. Definitely an upgrade over Davon Reed, guys like that. And the most important thing here is that he's played a role in the playoffs before. He knows how to impact the playoffs with what he did for the Lakers in the bubble, with what he did for the Lakers even after that too. In his career, he's a 37% three-point shooter in the playoffs. That includes 30 games. His role is going to be narrow, not necessarily going to be doing a ton or being asked to do a ton. He's being brought into Denver to be the fourth or fifth option, depending on where you want to classify him with Aaron Gordon. But if Denver has their offensive foundation of MPJ, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and you believe in those guys, you believe in those as top three offensive options, you just need defenders around those guys and players that are smart that can space the floor. KCP certainly qualifies, in my opinion. He's going to be a great fit. As for Ish Smith, this is the part that I think not riled up Nuggets fans, but I think gave them some pause for sure. Ish Smith is a player who has been around the league for a long time. 34 years old, very steady as a backup point guard, not necessarily the flashiest guy, not necessarily the the most impactful backup point guard that the Nuggets could have. Monte Morris was fantastic. He was a a definite top-tier backup point guard. I would describe Ish Smith as a mid-tier backup point guard. Somebody that you definitely know that you're going to get. Like You, you know what you're going to get from him. Sometimes he will break out and, and have a big game. Most of the time, it's going to be pretty steady, and he's just going to try to uh, extend the backup minutes for whatever backup unit he's on and, and be perfectly reasonable, not necessarily impactful. But he's had several moments. He's had several games where he's killed the Nuggets before. And the reason why is because he's just functional. He's just a guy who can get downhill, who's pretty agile, who's pretty uh, quick with the ball in his hands, and he's smart. When he turns the corner in the pick and roll, he's got a pretty good floater game. He's got a pretty good in-between game. And if you don't respect him, he is going to make you pay, just like most backup point guards in the league now. Now, he's not long for it. It's very clear that He's, he's about to turn 34 years old. He'll play his age 34 season this upcoming year. But he's not Denver's only solution at backup point guard because they believe in Bones Highland. Ideally, if you're Denver, you want those guys to be fighting for minutes at the backup point guard spot pretty consistently. And then you want Bones Highland to win that spot anyway. Denver believes in Bones Highland. They think that he has some star qualities, some star potential. But in order for him to be the best that he can be, he needs to be pushed. Ish Smith is the perfect, legitimately the perfect player they could have had to push Bones Highland to be better. Because you're going to need to reach a certain baseline in order to have Michael Malone's trust consistently. And you can't just rely upon it for talent alone. He can't just be a dynamic, flashy guard without playing some defense, without making the right decisions as a passer, as a playmaker, he's going to need 
to refine himself. Ishsmith is the perfect guy to kind of guard against that, that if he doesn't do that, then Ishsmith is pretty steady. He's going to be able to help. I think that this is the right level for what the Nuggets would need. They've got now at point guard a healthy Jamal Murray when he comes back. They have Bones Highland as your primary backup point guard. They have Ish Smith as the guy that pushes him as your primary third point guard. And then you have Colin Gillespie, who is your your two-way contract guy that you believe can be your Monte Morris of the future. That's sort of, I think that makes a lot of sense. He's going to be a player that you trust to run your summer league team, you trust to run your G League team, and then as he continues to get better, maybe he kind of grows into that Monte Morris role. This is the right move for Denver. You lose a little bit in terms of your stability from a regular season standpoint by losing Monte Morris, by losing Will Barton from an offensive creation standpoint. But when it comes to the playoffs, Denver needs certain qualities. They need certain players to be able to step up. Ish Smith is not going to be a playoff player. I think we discovered that Monte Morris isn't necessarily going to be a playoff player either because of his own personal weaknesses. Denver can only have one guy between Monte Morris and Bones Highland on the second unit, I think, in the playoffs. And I think they're probably going to make it Bones. So, what were you going to do with Monte? Well, you used him to help upgrade another position in your closing five. Denver has the perfect player now, with Contavious Caldwell-Pope, to be able to do that. He's going to hit 40% of his threes or close. He's going to defend the opposing team's best guard. Aaron Gordon will defend the opposing team's best wing slash forward. And Denver kind of has their structure now. They have the championship formula. This is what they believe in. If you're going to structure the team around Murray, Porter, and Jokic, Denver's done a really strong job now in at least establishing that foundation. What's your final five going to be? What's your starting five going to be? Now, with the rest of free agency, they're going to try to figure out what happens in between those two stints, the starting five and the closing five. We're going to see what they do, but for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we will discuss sort of how this affects Denver's free agency plans. But first, summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Backpack Action Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. I did a Twitter Spaces last night. Uh, that recording is on my Twitter feed if you're interested. I, I think it's you got to scroll back because I've tweeted like 27 times since then. But in that particular spaces. I talked about KCP. He's, he's definitely the 
the most likely player that Denver was going to add to kind of stabilize the roster, to stabilize the starting five. It always made sense. This was kind of the fallback plan, I think, for Denver. They probably didn't want to trade Monte Morris for Ish Smith, but they knew that that was going to be the price after they used their draft picks. So that's kind of where we're at. Now, on this segment, we are going to talk about what this sort of means for the rest of Denver's free agency because we haven't even started. The clock right now is it's 1.13 uh, Mountain Time. We have about 27 hours or so between uh, now and the start of free agency. Probably get some news between now and then too. But for now, Denver has 11 players, 11 full-time players on their roster. Not necessarily sure if these are the 11 players that they're going to keep in addition to another four, but I think that we can start to see the shape of the roster right now. It came out this morning that the salary cap projection has updated to $123.6 million or so, luxury tax about $150.3, luxury tax apron about $157. Uh, Denver's projected salary with the 11 players that they have right now is $148.4 million. They saved about $5 million on this deal. There was a lot of speculation that that was part of what this trade was going to mean for Denver. I can't say one way or the other, but I do know that the Nuggets are going to be a tax team. They're not going to avoid this thing. They're not going to be able to get underneath it. It's going to be a very, very difficult proposition for them to try to get underneath the tax for sure. They would have to maneuver a lot. They'd have to sell off Ish Smith and Jeff Green for nothing, maybe even Zeke Naji or somebody like that, and then sign all minimum contracts, and maybe you can get under. They're not going to do that. They have contention plans, and they know that if they sell off pieces, they're not going to be able to get the, the requisite championship caliber core that they need. So, 11 players... $148.4 million. Right now, they are $1.8 below the tax line. I do expect them to get about $10 million to $12 million over. That would be my general assumption. I could be wrong, but I do think that they still have some needs that they have to fill. Because right now, I look at their starting five. Jamal Murray, KCP, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic. I look at those guys and think, okay, that's set. That's great. When you start to look at the bench, you've got different players on there. You have Ish Smith now. You have Bones Highland. You drafted Christian Brown and Peyton Watson. And then you have Jeff Green and Zeke Naji. There's a lot of overlap there. There's a lot of guys that I'm not necessarily sure you are going to be using in your primary rotation. I think the only guys that I would really pencil in as primary rotation guys right now are Bones Highland and Zeke Naji. I do think that Zeke is probably going to play over Jeff Green, or at least that's the that's the projection that we're sort of getting out from the Nuggets right now. That still leaves two to three more spots if you are, like, some teams like to do a nine-man rotation, some teams like to do ten. I think that Denver's probably going to do ten, and the missing spots there right now are kind of another perimeter defender slash wing another backup small forward, and a backup center. Now, Christian Brown could potentially fill that. There's no doubt about it. 
Uh, Denver has some free agents of their own that they could use to bring back and, and then maybe fill those roles, whether it's Austin Rivers or Davon Reed or DeMarcus Cousins, if you're looking at the five. But I do think that Denver still has some financial flexibility. With this trade, my belief is that Denver picked up another traded player exception, $9.1 million. There was a reported one that was a little bit larger if Denver had kind of combined the two deals between OKC and, and Washington. But those deals have been finalized already. The OKC deal was finalized. The Washington deal was finalized. Those are separate. So I do think that they've got two separate traded player exceptions right now, $8.2 million and $9.1 million. Because of that, Denver has a couple of avenues with which they can get better. They could re-sign their own free agents to the amounts that I've outlined prior to now. Uh, with DeMarcus Cousins, you can only offer him a max of $3.2 million unless you dip into your taxpayer MLE, which is not something Denver wants to do. Or uh, they could bring back Austin Rivers or Davon Reed for a max of like $10.5, $10.9 million or so. They could bring back those guys, feel pretty good about it. I don't think that that's – like they're, they're not going to bring those guys back for each of those numbers individually, but they could probably bring them back for – with Davon Reed, let's say like $3 million. Austin Rivers, let's say like $5 million, something like that. That's about where I expect those guys to be. So if they brought back DeMarcus Cousins, Austin Rivers, and Davon Reed, that would put them in 14 roster spots for about, I will estimate it at about $156 million in terms of salary with one roster spot remaining. Um. Yeah, that sounds right. So about right at the tax apron, about $6 million, $7 million over the tax. Then they also have the taxpayer MLE, which I do think that they are going to use to try to get an upgrade with their backup wing spots. Whether they can get a guy like that remains to be seen. They were rumored uh, by Jake Fisher today to be interested in Victor Oladipo, the Miami Heat guard slash wing, uh, definitely a shooting guard who I thought excelled defensively in the playoffs, looked very rough offensively. But if Denver's looking to get better on the defensive end, they could do far worse than Victor Oladipo. Does have some health concerns for sure, but he's a guy that I would target. I'd also target Gary Harris if you're looking for another potential guard slash wing that can defend. Cody Martin. Caleb Martin, both of those guys, they're both restricted free agents, but would definitely help Denver in this circumstance. And then a couple of the bigger names, Bruce Brown, Gary Payton II, both of those guys could be on Denver's radar in terms of whether they could offer a player like that, a whether it's an extended role, whether it's a little bit extra money. Denver could probably offer one of those guys a, a nice deal for sure. But we're going to see. We're going to see what Denver ultimately does. I think that if I were them, I would go after either Gary Harris or Victor Oladipo just because I, I think I trust those guys a little bit more with the ball in their hands. And now that you've moved Monte, now that you've moved, uh, you've moved, uh, excuse me, you've moved Bones Highland into your backup point guard spot or Ish Smith, but either way, you'd want somebody else that's kind of capable next to them. 
Now that you're in that position, and you don't necessarily have another small guard that's in the rotation, you can get a small guard, a small wing, like a Gary Harris, like a Victor Oladipo, and feel pretty good about the idea of those guys playing together with Bones and being pretty successful. I like the idea of Oladipo, actually. He seems like a pretty good buy-low target, where you do have to use your taxpayer MLE, but he does seem like a player that would help Denver's perimeter defense, that could give them another capable DHO and pick-and-roll guy, that if Bones Highland is getting the primary assignment, maybe Victor Oladipo goes off and scores 20 off the bench every now and then. That seems like a pretty solid option. Ideally, I guess you would probably want a bigger player, somebody like a uh, like a Kelly Oubre or a Troy Brown Jr. or Amir Coffey is somebody that I've talked about with the Clippers. He's a restricted free agent. All of those guys certainly qualify. Even a DeLon Wright, still a pretty big guard, six foot five, uh, not necessarily like a, a thicker guard, but he's a pretty competent uh, pick and roll defender as well and pick and roll playmaker. He would be helpful in that circumstance as well. Denver does have options here. If they are willing to spend, and I think that they are, then they should have options on the free agent market where they can ask these guys if they want to play a significant playoff role. It doesn't mean that they would start, but if you've got seven players that you believe in right now for your playoff rotation, it's Murray, KCP, Gordon, Porter, Jokic, Bones, and Zeke. You probably need another big at some point, and you probably need another couple of wings, maybe a forward. If one of those guys, like an Oladipo, like a Gary Harris, getting a reunion with him, if one of those guys was interested, that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty solid for Denver, because it means that they wouldn't necessarily have to throw Christian Brown into the fire. Now, they could still play Christian Brown. There's no doubt about that. And it does seem like Christian Brown is ready for that particular role. But Peyton Watson is not. If they bring back Vlaco Chanchar, he's probably not. Uh, Davon Reed might be, but do you want to be counting on him to be your main wing off the bench? Probably not. Denver probably has some more moves to do. They also have Jeff Green. I wouldn't necessarily guarantee that he's on the roster at the end of this. Denver still needs to fill their backup center spot in some way, shape, or form. And I think that their preference is that Zeke Naji fills that backup power forward spot, which I think is what Jeff Green would be potentially here to do. But now that Zeke Naji's kind of stepped up and has shown that he can take on those reins, I think it still makes more sense that Denver goes a different direction. Whether it's Andre Drummond in free agency, whether it's bringing back DeMarcus Cousins, maybe you're trading for somebody like Tony Bradley, Alex Len, somebody like that. I don't think the player that you need to get, I don't think that player needs to be in the rotation. I think ideally, if you're Denver, you want Zeke Naji to step up as that backup five in a playoff context. That when opposing teams go small, Zeke also is at the five when Nikola Jokic is off the floor. Realistically, you just need to take care of 8 to 12 minutes without Nikola Jokic. And if that's the case, then can Zeke do that? Can he do four each half, six each half? 
I think that's reasonable. And if he really wants to make some money in the league, then Zeke will do that for sure. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Will Barton, Monte Morris out the door and give a nice little thank you to them. We'll be right back. back pickaxe and roll final segment here thank you for tuning in everybody let's give a kind of a a send-off here to will barton to monte morris both guys that have been with the nuggets for a long time that when we kind of do this transaction game when we're talking about upgrading the roster their names have been thrown around and kind of dragged through the mud here and i'm i'm fully acknowledging that i've done the same in, in sort of coming up with hypothetical deals but the main reason for that is because this is just kind of the natural part of the business. It's if Denver has their core group, Monte, Will, they were kind of on the fringes of that, not necessarily within the championship context. So Denver has had to make these moves, but it doesn't mean that those guys were any less impactful for what they meant to the Denver Nuggets. I think back to 2015. When Will Barton was acquired by the Nuggets in a deal that sent Aaron Aflalo to the Portland Trailblazers, Denver got a haul for that deal. But more importantly, they got Will, somebody that they could really rely upon to bring energy, to bring athleticism, and to bring some playmaking off the bench. He immediately made an impact, and he made that end of the season fun. Clearly somebody that the Nuggets liked, that they really enjoyed uh, watching. Tim Connolly had a previous relationship with Will, dating back to their kind of DMV days. And Tim had kept tabs on Will, knowing that he wasn't get the, getting a massive opportunity with the Portland Trailblazers. So we signed him, or he, he traded for him in Denver, signed him to an extension, and then... It sort of blossomed from there. There was at one point where Will Barton was a six-man-of-the-year candidate. I think he finished third in six-man-of-the-year voting one year. Not really sure who finished ahead of him. It was probably like Lou Williams or somebody like that. But for a long time, Will was a great spark plug off the bench. Somebody that solidified Denver's bench unit. That was kind of the only guy that they could really turn to on a consistent basis, they knew that they needed somebody like that to give them the energy, to give them the bounce. I know Will's performance in the slam dunk contest wasn't as impactful as maybe the other two guys, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, that were also in said dunk contest. But at one point, Will's hops were out of this world. That was the great thing about Will. He was this springy, athletic, wiry player who just looked like a basketball player and played that diverse game where he had a bag, he had skills, and still has them. Let's be honest. like His, his athleticism has definitely waned after the injuries, for sure. But in their place, he's become a much better shooter. He's become a much better decision maker with the basketball. Nuggets fans kind of give him some crap for being a lesser decision maker than he actually is. He's really solid. 
He's got an over two to one assist to turnover ratio. Nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about his mistakes. Rarely do they talk about his plays and what he does and what he did for Denver's offense for a long, long time. He turned himself into a solid three-point shooter and ultimately became the franchise leader in threes. He did that this year, and it meant a lot to him. This was a really, really big deal. It showed the growth in his game. It showed what he meant to the organization. How many big shots has Will Barton hit in his time? It's been a lot. It has been a lot. Most of them have not been threes. Most of them have been drives to the rim, doing a whole bunch of different stuff. But I really do think that Will, when we look back on his on his time with Denver, if Denver does win a title, Will just missing out on that is too bad because he never really had his playoff moment for Denver. The closest thing that we can really talk about with that was game four this past year where Nikola Jokic makes a great pass out to the corner. Will Barton hits a game, sa- not net game saving, a game clinching three to really put the game away. And it was the only game that the Nuggets won this past year. It was tough. It was not necessarily the way that the Nuggets wanted to go. And I think Will's weaknesses definitely showed through with that. But for all of the discussion about Will's weaknesses, it was always more about his strengths with me. He was a guy who was great with the media, who was real, who was real to his teammates, who was a great teammate, something that people don't talk about enough. And he was somebody who was beloved in the locker room. They wanted him to be successful because of who he was, because of how he carried himself, and because of the support he gave to the rest of his teammates. He was the first person to really acknowledge how great Nikola Jokic was. He was the first person to really shout out Michael Porter Jr. and how great he was. Both of those events I can see clearly in my head. And all that time, if you're Will, you're being supportive to your other guys, but with, with the acknowledgments of Michael Porter, there was always this possibility that Michael would kind of take over for Will's role, where he was kind of the third or fourth option. MPJ was always kind of coming for that, and it didn't matter to Will. He, he was very confident in himself. He knew just how good he was, and he wasn't going to just step aside for a guy like that. But when it ultimately came down to it, Will Barton started on the bench last year at the beginning of the 2021 season behind Gary Harris and behind Michael Porter. And he didn't make any uh, bones about it. He was fine. And he played well. And then Gary Harris got hurt and he got moved into the starting lineup anyway. That's just kind of how those things go. But I'm going to remember Will for what he did rather than what he wasn't. It's just not fair to him to have expected him to be this massively impactful two-way wing because those guys are paid like stars. Will Barton's never been paid like a star. He's been paid like a solid starter, and that's what he's been. He's had several years where he's been a solid starter for Denver, and injuries have kind of warped that. Some of the mistakes and the defensive lapses have kind of warped that in Denver's heads or Denver's fans' heads. I'm not going to let that dispel me from crediting Will Barton for what he did. Seven years in Denver, what a run. Now Monte Morris. 
Drafted in 2017 in the famed Tyler Lydon draft, he held a Denver Nuggets flag as opposed to an actual jersey when the Nuggets introduced him at the rookie pressers. He was a guy that sort of went under the radar in the midst of Denver's big disaster of 2017. They tried to get OG Ananobi. They ended up with Tyler Lydon and Trey Lyles. They drafted Vlaco Chanchar at 49. And then they drafted this Iowa State point guard at 51. Nobody really thought that big of it. Like, it could be somebody, maybe, but 51, how how often do you hit on that level of pick? There's absolutely no way the Nuggets fans saw just how good Monte Morris would be when they drafted him in 2017. He turned himself into a fantastic player. By harnessing his skills, what he was continuing to do from college, and it never stopped him from ultimately becoming Denver's third point guard, to becoming their backup point guard, to becoming their spot starter, to then this year becoming an actual starter for Denver, and at times being their second most important player. It was unbelievable. What he did to sort of turn himself into that level of professional talent was awesome. It was absolutely incredible. Sort of like Will. Will was a 40th overall pick. Monte was a 51st overall pick. Neither of those guys were expected to be massive contributors, but they both ended up being for Denver. Monte, I know that people didn't necessarily expect it. Back in 2017-18, he was a rookie. I think he played 25 minutes in two games, maybe one. And then 2018-19, Denver's big breakout season where they go from a a non-playoff team to a 54-win two-seed. There was a moment during that year where Isaiah Thomas, coming off of injury, he wasn't himself, but they wanted to give him a shot. All the while, Monte Morris was proving that he was already a solid backup point guard, already somebody that Denver could rely upon consistently. But Monte... Being the unselfish player that he was, stepped aside, tried to make it work. They played both Monte and Isaiah together, and it only lasted nine games. And then Isaiah kind of went back to the bench. It just wasn't going to work out. But the reason he went back to the bench was because Monte proved that he was solid enough, that he was better, and just gave Denver everything that they needed with the stability, the playmaking, the surprise scoring, and the versatility as a shooter. I don't think people have really fully appreciated just how diverse Monte's game is. He's a pull-up three-point shooter now. He's a spot-up three-point shooter. He runs pick and rolls. He runs DHOs. He finishes at the rim at a high level despite being six foot nothing. And he finishes on the floater game and in the pull-up. He's got such a deadly mid-range game that it's compared to guys like CJ McCollum and DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Durant. Monte is efficient. He also had this reputation at the end of first quarters and third quarters of always getting a bucket right at the end of the right at the end of the clock because Denver knew that they could go to him in those situations and he was clutch enough to make it happen. This past year, not necessarily the best year for Denver. But for Monte, he proved that he could step up in a starting point guard capacity for the right team. And he made a great pairing with Nikola Jokic. Second best player at various points during the season. And the crowning moment for him 
right before the All-Star break, the Nuggets call a post-up for Nikola Jokic against the Golden State Warriors. They're down by two, six seconds left to go. Ball gets entered into Nikola Jokic. He posts up, dribbles middle, finds Monte Morris, who has sprinted away from Steph Curry to get out to the three-point line. Jokic passes, Morris catches, and hits a big shot right at the buzzer. It was a fantastic moment, and it really underscored just what Monte Morris and his success meant to the Nuggets. How he stepped up in a situation that was very difficult for everybody. He made things work. Completely. And I do think that he'll be successful in Washington. I'm not sure what Will's going to do. I think he'll probably start at the three next to Bradley Beal at the two. That's probably the plan. But whatever happens with both of those guys, they're going to be impactful veterans. They're going to be helpful for whichever team they land on. And Monte will probably be the starter next to Beal. That would be my guess. But Nuggets fans should remember that even if Denver has success now, it doesn't mean that those guys weren't successful then. Doesn't mean that Monte Morris, that Will Barton weren't important and impactful to the Nuggets organization during their time here. They were absolutely necessary. And Nuggets fans deserve to know that and deserve to celebrate that for sure. Will Barton, Monte Morris, they deserve your love. That'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. I will be back. Uh, If Denver has a big thing that happens later tonight, then I'll be back. But most likely, I will be podcasting after free agency drops on Thursday. We'll react to all the moves and shenanigans that Denver does, and we'll see what ultimately happens. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys very soon.